Hello and welcome to Something to Do with Art with me, Robert Good. In this episode, I meet up with artist Carl Gent. Carl studied fine art at UCA in Farnham before completing a master's at Goldsmiths College, London. I first met Carl a few years ago when he was performing at the Fringe Arts Bath Festival, accompanied by an upside-down TV screen suspended from the ceiling and in front of what looked like a very large lump of rather odorous papier-mâché. So I want to find out how Carl goes about devising and delivering his performances, and I confess to being intrigued by the logistics of working with fresh manure. Our conversation takes place at Carl's studio in South London, where we are surrounded by further examples of his work. So join me for this edition of Something to Do with Art, and let's see where today's conversation might take us. This week I am in South London to meet Carl Gent, an artist from Bexhill-on-Sea, UK. Hello. Hello. Hello, Welcome to my podcast. Very happy to be here. So I was doing a little bit of research, or I wanted to talk to you about your work, and I Mm. wanted to try and summarise it, but I found that rather difficult. (laughs) And your your website says, artist from Bexhill-on-Sea, UK. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't say anything else, does it? (laughs) No, which is a very good good move, I think, actually. So I thought to give a flavour of what your work is about for Mm. my listeners, I was going to quote from your project, The Bulls of Auburn, Uh, which lists the following ingredients in its making. Performance, daub, stepladder, bucket, water, liquid soap, bovine excrement, topsoil, wig, wig fibres, thermal print text on receipt roll, battery operated organ and live mixed sound piece, which just sounds fabulous to me. Yeah, it was a fun piece. Would you like to say a little bit about your art as to how it does, how you see it as being? That thing of not having an artist statement, you know, I used to do that, but it's a tricky one because I don't want to be, you don't want to shut people out of the work by not saying what your stuff's about in that explicit way. You maybe do shut people about, you know, like as as much as we gripe about uh, kind of reductive texts on museum walls and stuff, they do help people get into art, you know. So, but I also concede that's not my job. Um, so I think I've just been trying to work out how meaning gets encoded into stuff. That would be a fair sentence to kind of put across most of my work, I think. Um, yeah, I, well, that's interesting because I didn't really intend to try and pin you down because I find no. it really difficult myself, but mm. in a kind of descriptive way because there are kind of just these lovely kind of objects and <laughs> themes that seem to kind of run through Hideous through your objects. work. <laughs> uh, and, uh, well, I have a confession to make, actually. Yeah. This, this might be a very short conversation depending okay. on how you take this because yeah. before we go, I have a feeling that yeah. the first time I saw you yeah. perform... Was it or was it not? I put to you at uh, Fringe Arts Bar. 
path? Did you do something? There? Yeah, I think it was. I think that was what we yeah. met, wasn't it? And, and I, I did a kind of slideshow thing, didn't I? Yeah. Mm. Can I share my recollections? Absolutely. Of it? Please do. It. So for my for my so this must have been a few years ago, and it was in Bath. And Fringe Arts Bath is fantastic mm. festival. Yeah. I, I really love it. I think it's such a great thing. I think there was a, like a lectern and in front of the lectern was this large, I thought it was like some sort of papier-mâché <laughs> yeah. boulder and it smelt quite strongly. I wouldn't mm. say it stank, but it reeked or there mm. was definitely a, an, Damp- olf- a dampness, an yeah. olfactory yeah, yeah, yeah. thing going on. And then I think suspended from the ceiling was an upside down monitor. Yeah. Which was is it still etched in my mind to this yeah, day? Yeah, I'm impressed. You remember, and, and, right, yeah. yeah, and and we, which had all these images going on, and then you came in and you got to, up to the lectern and you you did a reading. Did a reading, yeah. Now that my confession is that I couldn't decide if you were being serious or not, and I realised later that I think you probably were, and so I was thinking, oh, look, have I thought the wrong? You know? <laughs> but there is a kind of humour. Well, I think there's a humour to it. Just the, the being kind of bombarded with the absurdity of the various different elements mm. just yeah. really got me somehow. Interesting. So like, uh, I had like, I'd almost half forgotten about that piece. So I would show at Fringe Arts Bath before in this kind of wilderness between my BA and MA, which sounds um, like a nasty word to use, but it's really hard. You don't really get taught how to be an artist. You don't really get told... Because there's a hundred ways to do it and you'll never succeed. <laughs> Most of them, obviously. Um, and I went to quite... Um, had a really good time. Learned a lot there. But it was quite a provincial art college. So it was not one where you learn that stuff kind of organically. So after that was kind of just showing in exhibitions any, anywhere I could. Just that panic of not making anything. Just anyone that would let me do anything, I would take on. And I look back at a lot of that work and it was kind of atrocious or it was like I spent way too much money and time and effort and depended on a lot of work of my like friends and family to make them happen and I know that's just part of the journey but that piece that you saw was yeah that would probably have been the second time maybe I used Daub publicly and yeah, I'm still using it so you know well, so yes, it's I, quite I, important I should important maybe piece. say so yeah. wind forward a few years here we are sitting yeah. together and we are surrounded, surrounded by, by pieces <laughs> with, with the game the same it is yeah. well. We'll come on to the the daub in a bit. Yeah. But it's, um, so that's obviously stuff. It has. Part, part. That, and that humor. I don't know that humor thing. It's a weird one. I saw a talk by Bedwell Williams once, and someone asked him about humor in his work. And what did he say? Am I allowed to swear on this or not? I'm, yeah. Okay. I think, well, I think so. I can always I can always edit it. <laughs> okay, okay. And he <laughs> said, bleep you. And in this like in this Q and A, he was like. I never know what to say when someone uh, says my work's funny. It's like someone t- telling you you've got a big dick. <laughs> it's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> like, but I don't know, the humour, it's a weird one. Because it's like, um, well, I think humour's really useful. I mean, I don't think I, I purposefully think about it when I'm thinking about a piece. But I definitely let it in because it's a tool and it's a weapon. It's, it's something funny or something a bit sexy or something a bit... Something involving sound or the olfactory as well, like scent and taste and stuff. They let things in. It disables our defences a little bit. I mean, this is why comedy can often say like quite intense political things. Not that that's what I do, but like... I think humour is just quite useful. It relaxes people a little bit. Well, there is one, yeah, there is one model of the artist as kind of court jester, you know, mm, being able sure. to say things in that way. Maybe it's as much, I think of you, as a naturally funny or engaging person. Okay, yeah, yeah. And maybe we're talking kind of deep and meaningfully here. And I think maybe it's as much that in the, the kind of energy of the performance mm. and, the, and the, a little twinkle in the eye, I think is really kind of enlivening and actually provides an extra element. I mean, mm. for example, I 
really like the fact on your mailing list, mm. if you would like to unsubscribe <laughs> from my mailing list, right. please reply with excommunicate yeah. in the subject header. I got, I got rid of that last week. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, oh, I was no. like, well, I only got rid of it because MailChimp has a unsubscribe option anyway. And also, it's quite demoralizing when someone unsubscribes from your mailing list. So oh, I was like, I don't well, need I was this. Ask you, do I you used get... to, but I've turned off the notifications. Well, funny enough, yes, I, I was going to say that once. Because I don't, I don't feel bad for anyone. You know, I, we all get too many emails. No one needs to read my sure. emails. But then if a friend unsubscribes, I'm like, oh, why'd you do this? I once accidentally saw the list of unsubscribers on my list, which I hadn't (laughs) intended to click at all. And there are a couple of good friends there. And I thought, no. (laughs) Oh, well, okay. So excommunicated gone. Well, I, okay, for what it's worth, I enjoyed it. I'm glad. Maybe, maybe now you've, you've become a more serious artist, you Mm. know, maybe it's, maybe that's a transition that you're. Making, I well, know. I mean, it's, I mean, without going into it too deep, we do, because I haven't think about this, we do um, lampoon ourselves a little bit, or we self, we police our own tone a little bit. I was talking about this with someone yesterday, about what you apply to, what you don't apply to, what you think you're eligible for, what you think you're not eligible for. It's strange, like, now I feel more like uh, part of the day-to-day makeup of the art world. I think about the things I would not have applied to in the past or did not apply to and I realise it's it's just you just it's just a kind of British class policing of the self and I'm so in a strange way I'm quite not regretful but a little bit like why did I have to spin myself in that way why did why couldn't I feel comfortable unless I have that little quirky thing and I'm you know I'm not I don't feel bad about it I don't feel ashamed about it it's like the journey but it is I don't know those little things we do are interesting and thinking you know because I do often end up in my performances like physically how you use your body or how you sit in your work is part of that as well like the kind of body language apologies you might make or differences you might make or lack of but I think that performance, that Balls of Auburn performance, that was um, one of the last new performances I did, that was really funny. That was definitely hilarious. Okay, taking something like that, how do things get put together? It's like a recipe or a kind of cooking mm. thing, maybe. So much of the work the past five years has been part of larger projects. So one piece or performance will exist. And then out of it, the next thing will come. And I think back like 10 years ago, I used to hate that um, idea of committing something for that length of time and just letting one work follow another. But it's actually been really wonderful and uh, I've learned a lot by doing things that way. So most of the work the past four or five years has been about this Mercian queen, Kynethrith. And where that began was... I was looking into pseudo-Kufic, which is like a phenomenon where in a lot of well not a lot but some medieval paintings like you'll see some paintings of Mary and Joseph by Giotto the edge of their kind of robes is adorned with this script that is Giotto's attempt to draw Arabic it's not Arabic because he can't read Arabic and doesn't know what he's doing but it's like oh okay they're from the Holy Land that's the language that I think happens in the Holy Land so they'd have this on them which is interesting from a you know 20, 21st century perspective because there's such a schism between we associate Arabic with Islam and you know to have it on Mary sure. and Joseph so I was just I was just researching that and then came across this coin a uh, tiny coin they've got it in the, it's about that you know centimetre I guess they've got it in the British Museum and it's a gold coin from the 8th century and of King Offa who was the king of Mercia 
at the time. And it's got his name on it. It says Offer Rex in Latin and it says something else on the obverse. Um, but then it's also got Arabic all around the edge. It says, you know, there was one God but Allah um, and his name is Allah. But the Arabic's upside down to the Latin. So the money I didn't, couldn't read the Arabic. So presumably, no one really knows, but presumably it was a coin they minted to trade with the Caliphate. Just an amazing object, right? So I just saw that. And then King Offer, I went to a school called King Offer, even though Bexhill was not part of Mercia. Mercia is like Midlands, but they were quite an aggressive kingdom. So they conquered Bexhill, well, Hastings. And then they, he said, put a church here and that church became my hometown. So there was a bit of self-interest. Like I knew the name, but I didn't really know anything about him. And then, you know, just kind of hanging out on Wikipedia reading and so on and so forth, I got more interested in his wife, uh, Kenethrith, who seemed to have easily been the most powerful woman in Europe at the time. Her face is on coinage. She was also an exile from France. I mean, I, I don't want to talk for hours about Kenethrith, but I just got so interested in her story and how I knew so little of her, even though kind of my hometown was connected to her. And I guess at the time I was thinking about exoticism and Orientalism, which are quite violent, dangerous practices, but I was interested in what happened if I started doing that to uh, my own self, my own nation, my own culture, via Bexhill, via Mercia, kind of rewinding England to pre-England. And I don't know, to see what could happen. And yeah, it's just been a really generous process. And it's been quite useful because I've kind of got this superstructure of Knithrith's life. And I haven't had much time to pontificate or consider what kind of art I want to make over the past four or five years just from work and uh, life. So when something's come up, I've been able to go, okay, I haven't told that part of her story yet. So let's do that. Let's tell that part of the story somehow. And it's also because I've had such kind of faith in the overall project, it's given me the license to play and maybe make some things that aren't up to standard, my, my own personal standard, but then it's allowed me to play. And I've probably learned way more doing that than I would have done had I endless hours to go, oh, what should I make? And oh, is this the right thing to do? And just let the materials teach me some things, basically. Well, also it allows you to dig a little bit deeper and go a little bit deeper into yeah. something and to revisit it and you get more out of it each time. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that's really good. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's good. I mean, provided it's done with the right intent. There are yeah. some artists who they have one thing and then they crank the handle and <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep yeah. cranking. Yeah, and that's the other side, isn't it? I've got yeah. some friends who do that, who, who make, to my eye, quite similar work. But then it gives them the same fire. It gives them the same internal life. I know. Part of me is quite envious of it, yeah. you know. For sure. I'm, I mean, yeah. I'm just in the process of reviewing my website and think, you know, this is all over the place. You know, if it, if, you know it's, it's almost like a kind of branding or, you know, what am I trying to do here? Or if, yeah. if only it were a little bit more but that's, all the same. That thing of like making a website and, or making a portfolio or applying to something or whatever, that is strange because you're telling the story of your own art practice or life or whatever and the way you tell it changes the work you know? it does it does strange, you know? well funny enough last night I was thinking about it and I was chatting to a friend and, and I thought you know what I might actually get somebody else to curate my website because I don't know what it all no. adds up to yeah. and it goes back to this thing about an artist statement and trying to yeah. put it all into a, a one-liner that's why artists from Bexhill on the sea is just so perfect because <laughs> <laughs> but that thing if you know you automatically went to the materials list and I'm quite lucky and that my practice means that the materials list alone not always but like sometimes gives enough 
of a clue or a way in. So I do think about how how I write that materials list quite a lot. You know. Well, I well I did like well there were two things. One is because I'm conscious I'm still learning the craft of podcasting. Mm and trying to paint the picture yeah, and yeah, I yeah. thought well that does without the visual that does, information yeah, yeah that yeah. does kind of but also again you know I, I know we talked about humour but bovine excrement mm. you know it's just yeah. the, the nicely nicely phrased turn of phrase yeah. is, is good I've gone back and forth with how I write yeah the excrement bovine excrement's nice what are the, what are the alternatives well, kettle done yeah no I wrote what did I used to write I can't remember actually now I say that it definitely wasn't excrement I was using a different word faeces I think I was using the word faeces oh right but that doesn't quite have no, the same... It doesn't imply a mass faeces, does it? It implies something <laughs> yeah, medical. I think I prefer excrement. <laughs> Plus the bovine's nice. And I think, yeah, sometimes I use horse shit as well. So equine's a nice word as well. So that's quite good. I'm curious now. So how yeah. do you make Watland or bovine? And where do you get your bovine excrement from? So, yeah. I mean, I don't do the wattling, really. The wattle is the... Um, so for those who might not know, uh, wattle and daub is an old building material, and the wattle would be the willow or whatever kind of the wood. structure. Yeah, the structure. So I just make the daub and. Oh, hang on. So do you not have a structure? Well, it's you... so here. It's it's on. There's like an armature of uh, hardboard and timber. It oh, varies. Okay. Some, sometimes it is literally just daub, and it's basically whatever soils you've got around and access to, mixed with some kind of animal dung and something to bind it, so normally hair, uh, animal hair normally. And I read a thing recently that was saying in the old days they used to just chuck all the ingredients in the pigsty and let the pigs do the work, or the horses or whatever. And then they think that's how the animal hair got into it and they realise the animal hair helped bind it, which is brilliant. I love that. So that's that's such a great story. That's one of those ones that you want it to be true. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I like that idea. Because there's a lot of the hard labour of the old days seem to have been not that hard. (laughs) So do you, do you make it into a kind of ritualistic stomping when you make it? Do you have a great vat and it, kind of... Yeah, so it varies. So like, first time I did it, I just did it in the studio while I was um, chatting with my studio mate. <laughs> and that was quite exciting um, and disgusting. It's a strange one. I don't want... Often my work goes to the past, like kind of early Middle Ages. But I never want it to be a... I hope it never gives off a kind of romanticisation of the past. I don't want it to be a reenactment of past processes. So I've always tried to make it semi-contemporary so instead of animal hair I tend to put wig hair in it and often quite brightly coloured I got a job lot of pink curly wigs (laughs) so it's been a lot of pink curly hair in it for the past few years and then I've also kind of used shredded school uniforms from King Offer my junior school because it's often about King Offer and Queen Canithra and the animal dung well you know because I've been working mostly in South London uh, while making all this stuff. I would get it from Surrey Docks City Farm mostly or Vauxhall City Farm. So Surrey Docks City Farm is a bit of a walk but a walking distance from my studio and Goldsmiths where I was studying so that was where I got it and it was mostly cow, cow dung I was using because they've got normally two or three nice big cows but sometimes they they have a break they go to um some farm in suffolk i think so i have to that's when i have to go to Vauxhall city farm to get some which is much further and i have to carry dung on the bus and everything which is always no matter how much you try and act it out it always is conspicuous <laughs> <laughs> so that's i'm surprised they allow you on public transport with the a couple of times I haven't. I got on one. I got on this bus and I had. I was using a wheelie bin of all things. The wheelie bin's the most. You walk around town with a wheelie bin. People think I don't know what. And I got on this bus and I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna do it because I couldn't. It was from Vauxhall. I couldn't walk from Vauxhall. And the bus driver was like, 
what's in there? And I was like, compost? <laughs> and she was like, show me. So I, so I showed her, I opened it up, and it was like, it's filled with horse shit. And she was like, on your get. <laughs> like, what would be... I mean, I don't know, I guess rubbish would be worse, or... Well, perhaps she thought it was a dead body Dead bodies, yeah. yeah, I don't really yeah. know. Yeah. Anyway, so that was quite fun. I think I think there's I think there's a piece of work in that, or just a just a little yeah. documentary of you trundling. I know, I know. It's strange though. Often, I mean, I think often in the process of making these works, it's some point along the way that becomes most interesting. Like the mixing process is really, really, really. It's really hard work, but it is really exciting. And I've only actually done the mixing process live once in my degree show. I kind of did like a symposium and a kind of series of events in this kind of trough mixing space. And that was quite exciting. But since then, it's... Um, I, get, I don't know, I haven't really had the desire to kind of do the mixing as a performance since then. It's been more... That's been the kind of private moment. Because I, I guess I feel like that's where the material gets a bit encoded I'm quite selfish with my art practice. Like it's a, it, I do the things that I need to do, and and that's part of it. But that part of it, I don't need anyone else to see. It's kind of for me and whoever I've forced into helping me <laughs> uh, last minute. But yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, it's that editing process, isn't it? Which bits are which bits of what you're doing are, are, are going to the final mix? Yeah, it's often the process that I care about most, and it's about setting up a few things like here's the content or the input here's the people who are going to be doing it here's the materials and here's the space I've got a vague idea what kind of know how this is going to go but there's always a chance element and it's often that chance element that is easily the most exciting part and often it's and it's using materials like daub or absinthe or whatever that are the most exciting because i have a, i have a minimal amount of control over them yeah but getting, that's, getting well, no, that's that's interesting about the whole thing about process because i i'm probably towards the other end of the spectrum mm. i get i like i like to feel that i know what my stuff is about and or yeah. a kind of it's a different animal and i get angsty if i don't understand it to myself whereas actually and in a way it'd be nice if it the doing and the process and, and then yeah. there it is that is the outcome of the thing almost. so you feel you feel um angsty at the start if you don't know where it's headed or something. Kind of, yeah, yeah, which I know is bad, you know. No, it's not necessarily bad. That's no, nice. I know it's not really. But I mean, there's it, the, the, it is a different it's a different flavour. Mm. My work is often kind of propositional and putting stuff together and so stuff. Mm. I want it to add up or a kind of... It is in the thinking a lot of the time rather than in the more the open exploration. Mm. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I think like, I think... Because the thinking is definitely there, obviously. I guess I see them as, as parallel and like interweaving processes instead of one creating the other. Yes, but if the process is good and it's been a really rich and, and insightful, I'm going to use the J word if I'm not careful. <laughs> journey. Journey. <laughs> journey. Use the J word, it's fine. <laughs> but then you. Yeah. But then the, the outcome is, is not what you're expecting and so on. There's a kind of, that creates a, a tension for me. Yeah, and I think often like in my performances, because I often end up like smiling or enjoying my performances as they're happening. It's normally because something uh, unexpected has happened from the material. And sometimes that's terrifying. Sometimes that's catastrophic. Like when your carnival float breaks and you destroy the clutch of a car that you borrowed. <laughs> that's not funny. It obviously is funny. It's objectively <laughs> hilarious, but it's um, the reality is not so good. Well, maybe that is a point at which to pause and sure. have a quick Let's have a tea. cup of tea. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs>
so we are back. We're back, volume uh, two. Volume two, after a quick uh, refreshment, a cup of tea, um, fortifying. Very good, thank you very much. And, um, well, I was just going to ask you a couple mm. of questions. I, I, I was curious when you said it before the break, the wilderness between BA and MA, and I was just mm. going to ask you a little bit about that and how you found, because you went to Goldsmiths, and mm. how you found yeah. that, and uh, the differences between the two. And I mean, there's loads to say. Like, I think where I went for my BA was fine. You know, it was I enjoyed it a lot. It was actually ideal. But after a few years of making art but not really necessarily enjoying the making of it or not knowing what I was doing. It was like, let's do a masters. And the desire to do that is just to reprioritize it. And at the time I only really knew what U- the UK colleges were. So we would not have even considered actually I did apply to that that one in Stockholm but I didn't get in. So yeah, applied to a few and had to decide where to go and ended up deciding to go to Goldsmiths. And part of that was about London. I guess as I project into the future, I was like, well, I might need to be in London at some point. So I guess that was, that was if I'm honest, Apparently that was the main what, reason. Uh, Madonna did, didn't she? She Is said, it? yeah, she, <laughs> she went to New York and she said she got into a taxi at the airport right. and said, take me to the centre of everything. Oh my God. <laughs> I'd love to do that in London, see where we end up. <laughs> yes, I, I forget where she did end up. Silk Road in Camberwell. Yeah, so went to Goldsmiths and yeah, had a, it, I think it was really the right place to go for me. I think that um, I still work there. <laughs> for one thing, I still work in the library there, I'm paying back my tuition fees. But I think also the main reason I chose Goldsmiths over other places is that uh, Lindsay Sears was on the teaching staff and she was uh, and still is one of my favourite artists. So that kind of practice uh, and opportunity to kind of learn something from her was really exciting. Yeah, and went there, basically. Fantastic. Yeah. And it has an aura to it, doesn't it, as well? It does have an aura, yeah, which can be good and can be bad because it doesn't always live up to that aura. I had a wonderful time there. I had several breakdowns while there. I think everyone does. I had friends who were doing masters at different institutions at the time, so we were comparing notes quite a lot so that was quite interesting and useful it was just very intense at Goldsmiths and it, and it was about the talking more than anything else was it one year two year two yeah. year yeah I think I wouldn't have done it a one year course because no because I was going enough no I was going to say so I did um, masters MFA yeah two years and I got to the end of the first year and I thought you know god I'm just so glad it's not finishing it because yeah. it's like you got all your toys out of the toy cupboard yeah and there's this great big mess on the floor yeah. and you've got to put them all back and but, like you if, know. if you'd had if you knew you had like the degree show at the end of the first year you wouldn't have even bothered getting the toys out of the sweet cupboard you'd have been no, like okay exactly. you'd have spent maybe a third of it going ooh and then you'd have been like right what do I make so but to be honest it, I mean the art stuff was great but it was more the kind of other learning that happened from the reading and the because le- you know you can go to lectures from anywhere so I went to a lot of visual cultures lectures or politics lectures and stuff which you obviously you don't get as broad a mix if you go to a specific, just an art college just the kind of again reprioritizing of the political life or the kind of rearranging what matters to you that's kind of what happened that's a good way of putting it I and like that, that yeah and that's, that's like really nice. the art's great but like a part of that is um, yeah changing what you care about a little bit which I always cared about more but realising that that's allowed realising that's valid you're allowed to care about the state of the world you're allowed to think about art not as a job <laughs> you know which is really important I think but, rearranging what matters yeah that's yeah. great 
Cause and you have to do it because you spend a lot of fucking money on it as well. And like, yeah. it's not cheap. It's even worse now. And that kind of intensity of, God, why am I here? Why am I doing this? This has to be worthwhile because I'm really quite, you know, screwed in some ways. That's quite important, I think, as well. Not to say that you should be poor and, and like, broke while doing an art qualification. But for me, it made me take it a bit more intensely or seriously, but yeah. And looking forward, you've got some great things coming up. You've got uh, yeah. um, Project Y-Sing yeah. and uh, uh, an Art Angels Thinking Time. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me about those? Yeah, sure. Um, so the Project at Wising is really exciting. It's um, I'm collaborating with Kalichi Anucha. There's an allotment at Goldsmiths run by one of my ex-chiefs. And uh, Kalichi was doing a master's in English literature there. We tend to do seasonal solstice events at the allotment. I can't remember which one, but I met Kalichi there. And we became friends. She was a singer. We asked, me and Linda Stupart, asked her to sing and um, act in our play last year and that went really well and she's a beautiful singer she sings as part of this vocal drone group uh, Nooks spelled N-Y-X yeah we're looking at songs that are certainly about the English imaginary but also ones that have kind of travelled around the world a little bit which is really common for English folk it kind of you know, songs went to America or Africa and had their meaning changed or they moved between pagan song and church song. So we're looking at that interflection because obviously you've got root melodies that various different narratives drop on top of, like different words, different lyrics. Right. So I think we're really interested in how this kind of weird materiality of English folk music has kind of gone around the world via colonialism and Christianity changed maybe like the strangeness of singing about english seasons in the midwest american midwest or something where the seasons are not the same you know and then maybe they come back as well they return to england sometimes via diaspora communities and stuff so yeah but effectively we're going to go to wising and we're going to um record some folk songs and it's going to be really nice great i'm really excited about it and that's that oh yeah and art angel yeah so the art angel thing's incredible i guess it came about via coronavirus they're given a grant to 10 different kind of artists and poets and musicians to think to think (laughs) yeah which is incredible it's like this stuff of dreams um so that's been again it feels quite early days it's a couple months in and how does that work? Is it literally you can please yourself? Do you have to do yeah, any outputs for outcomes? Or? Uh, there's no outcomes required. Oh. There's um, three meetings um, held throughout the process of it. There's options to do more, like some kind of mentoring options. And I mean, I'm always so intrigued forth. by these types of um, programs because mm. so do you have to, uh, in the application process, say what you want to think about? No, I didn't apply. It came out of nowhere. Oh right! Wow. Would you you like? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Which is incredible. Yeah, one of those emails you have to read ten times ago. Yes. I think it was nominated. So um, there there was a range of people. Art Angel consulted saying, "Hey, who do you think we should consider for this grant?" And somehow 
I was selected, which is really, really kind and generous. That's fantastic. And when I saw the other list of the other nine recipients, I was really happy because some really amazing people in there. That's great. Well, well congratulations. That's fantastic. And um, mm. I remember, I think it was when The Independent first came out as a mm. newspaper a while back, or they ran a competition where you they were going to give uh, like a year's salary. I think it was like £30,000 or something, mm. which was quite a lot. Well, mm. still, maybe it wasn't that much. But anyway... They were going to give an amount of money, uh, and you just had to write in with what you would do okay. with what they consider to be quotes a life changing amount okay. of money. Yeah, yeah. And my my submission was just I'd like to take take the time off and think, yeah, <laughs> and so uh, and I and uh, maybe do some art, you yeah. know. And of course, I didn't get you it. didn't get it. No, no, I, <laughs> I can't think why. <laughs> they didn't want to fund me just to kind of take some time out. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, it's really good. I've taken it quite, I've literally been taking it, I've been taking it quite literally, I've been thinking with the time that it's allowed me to have. And a lot of the work I'm doing is processual and it's kind of fed out of questions that I was asking about five years ago. And while many things have come out of that process, the questions I was asking five years ago, the world is, feels very different than it does five years ago. So I think a lot of the things I was trying to unveil or reveal five years ago are very, very explicit now. So I guess, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to kind of think about what I want to keep asking and what changes and how, how I want to be in the art world a little bit. And it's kind of this play that I did last year, it's kind of... a been focusing a little bit on that and questions of ecology and the queer body and that kind of the first chat with our angel that was kind of what we ended up talking about and ideas of theatricality as well because there's this theatrical element in a lot of my work but I actively despise what I imagine as theatricality so that's become a kind of one of well, the things tell, tell, me, about. tell me a bit more about that because that <laughs> is interesting uh, yeah um, I mean I don't there's, I think there's many reasons some of which are a bit personal but like it's there's a deference to the audience with anything like theatre, right? It's like it's all about you know I've only been to actual theatre a few times, and obviously there's loads of amazing theatre, and I'm not saying all theatre is bad, but that it's for the paying audience. That deference to the viewer, I kind of hate that. I want I want an artwork to exist on its own terms. I want an artwork to exist for itself, and if I if I look at it or if anyone looks at it, it's kind of anything learned is happened stuff you know is and i think that's about a notion of authentic authenticity which is a strange word to use but the theatrical feels like playing right it feels like a lie or a mask or a costume and i'm very aware that i use costumes and make plays and things like that but they are not there's nothing hiding i'm not trying to hide or create an illusion of this is what Queen Knithrith would have looked like and this is how she would have spoken because it's not that because we can't access that there's no access in that and I think it also it does tie into a kind of the way I relate to obviously theatre and kind of uh, queer modes of production are quite closely linked but they're kind of it's not the queerness that I feel close to I'm I'm looking I don't know I want something that feels a bit more real it feels like Daub you know or The Sea or Absinthe or whatever so yeah, that's that's kind of what we've been talking about a little bit um, with the Art Angel thing, um, which is really good and interesting and interesting. Well, I think to those work. things 
could be squared in the sense that there is costume and physicality and mm. spoken word and performative elements in what you do, mm. but it's not it's not in it's not packaged in a in a play in three acts or a narrative yeah. with a start, middle, and end or yeah, a, I an audience. You made a play with three acts. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I don't know. There's also class snobbery there. Like I, I think I, I I'm very childish and I see theatre as quite a kind of upper middle class realm um, and I feel excluded from it and I don't understand the rules of engagement and again obviously there's incredible plays and I've seen incredible plays and incredible theatre that isn't that at all but there's uh, I think it's just too human centric it's about individuals getting on stage and voicing their story which obviously can still be the most incredible thing in the world, but it's not something I want to do. Good. Well, it sounds as though you've got uh, plenty of irons in the fire, and we talked about the cyclical nature of things, and it'll be interesting in five years' time to see where where around the spiral you are. If if there's an art world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. It's been really really great, and I've really enjoyed catching up with you and finding out what you've been up to, so thank you. No worries. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Something to Do with Art. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback via social media and check out the podcast notes for links and further information. That's it for this episode. Many thanks to the very wonderful Berwick Livingston for the music, Danielle Blyde for logo design, and to everyone who has taken part and helped me with this project. I hope to catch up with you again soon. Thank you.